he had money if you like his backed by men, men with guns. You can't counterfeit Bitcoin. On the blockchain, nobody knows you're a fridge. It's like a whole new worldview. It undermines the entire financial system. Separating your currency from government, from big banks. People are getting a little tired of these central banks. A Federal Reserve note? What's that mean? An orgy of, of banker bashing is what we're in for. The clouds are opening up to herald the arrival of Satoshi Cyberchrist. Christ is back, and he's got Bitcoin. It is time once again. That's another Wednesday at 7 p.m. Once again, it's time for the greatest show on earth. It's the Bitcoin Report, baby. Yeah. Ed and Ethan's Bitcoin Report. By the way, I'm not sure where the greatest show on earth is airing, but uh, wherever it is, I'm glad you decided to tune into our show instead. Ah, ha, ha, ha. See that levity <laughs> and wit is what uh, uh, what the listeners return every week for right here on KCAA, 1050 AM in Loma Linda, California, the station that leaves no listener behind. Of course, uh, the Ed and, or Ed and Ethan's Bitcoin Report is a joint production of the Let's Talk Bitcoin Network. Check them out at letstalkbitcoin.com for everything that we have to offer there. A myriad of fantastic uh, productions uh, all about Bitcoin and yes. well worth the visit. I mean, if you want to lose a few days of your life, you know, go down the rabbit <laughs> hole uh, to explore Bitcoin. Uh, of course, you can check us out at edandethan.com. If you have anything to tell us, you can email feedback at edandethan.com. And if you'd like to live tweet us during the show, we'll keep our eagle eyes on that Twitter feed at Ed and Ethan. If you've got any questions for our guest, by the way, Somebody very fantastic we're happy to have on. I'll mention him in just a moment. Before I do, however, because I am the voice of the program, after all, <laughs> I will use the platform. Uh, I'm gonna, I do want to mention that I'll be speaking at a Bitcoin symposium in Regina, Saskatchewan. And if you've never heard the city name Regina up here in Canada... That's okay. You can snicker right now. You've got full <laughs> license to do that. Go right ahead. So Regina, Saskatchewan, downtown. It's at the Queen City Hub located at 1843 Hamilton Street in downtown Regina. It's going to be on the 11th. That's a Tuesday, 7 p.m. Just Google uh, Regina Bitcoin Symposium. If you want to find out more details, check out the Facebook link. The coordinators have all of the details there. Now, Okay, so our guest tonight uh, for the first half of the show is one Patrick Byrne. Uh, Patrick is the CEO of Overstock.com. Yeah, Overstock.com in 2013 did $1.3 billion in sales, and the company is a rip-roaring with Bitcoin. And recently, sales of Bitcoin have, well, they've reached incredible levels, and we're going to get into that right now with Patrick on the line. Mr. Byrne, are you there? I am here to be on. Fantastic. Thanks so much for making the time. It is greatly appreciated. So, uh, Mr. Byrne, I wanted to ask you specifically, why did you start accepting Bitcoin at Overstock.com, a very large online retailer where people can find, I mean, a, a, a whole wide variety of project, uh, products. Why did you decide to start accepting Bitcoin? Because some people have said, nah, it's just a publicity stunt. That's It's nothing new. No, there's two sets of reasons. There are business reasons and philosophical reasons. The business reasons are that there is a small but rapidly growing part of the market who likes dealing in Bitcoin, and I figure by being the first main major retailer to, to integrate with Bitcoin, that we could attract that segment of the market, and if everyone else continues sitting on their hands, and eventually a, a larger and larger share of the market would sort of be automatically having their choice but to stop with us. That's hmm. the business there's a philosophical reason. I'd like to hear it. Uh, well, of course so. we'd like to hear the philosophical reason. I Frankly, I want to hear the philosophical reason because I already know what it is and I really like it, but I want our listeners to hear it too. <laughs> so go right ahead. Well, the philosophical reason is I'm a limited government guy. I'm pro-freedom. And if you're pro-freedom and believe in limited government, you really don't want government to have unlimited uh, authority over the, the money supply and over money. And that's why people like us and do prefer gold standard, because gold is something that government mandarins can't just make up with a stroke of a pen. Uh, we're not going to get to a gold standard, but cryptocurrency in general, and in particular Bitcoin, have some of the virtues of gold, I, it's namely that it's limited in supply. So it's really a way to tame governments. If, 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 if partial, so one of the philosophical reasons is it's very consistent with my whole view of limited government and freedom of such. Uh, in addition, I think it's healthy for the company to have a, you know, there isn't anyone I meet who doesn't eventually voice 
suspicions that we may be frying our our financial system, you know, and and the government's fiscal situation is a mess. And I don't know if this seem like sort of lunatic folks. They <laughs> everybody I know that's paying attention seems to be quite worried that we're coming to some sort of systemic crisis. Well, I think it'll be very good if we have a fallback system already in place that plenty of people are integrated into. Sure. Well, see, this is the thing, Patrick. When when I when I talk to people about a gold standard, by the way, if anybody wants to give us a call, they can do so. one 1050 If you've got questions for Patrick, you can uh, you can ask them right here on KCAA ten fifty AM. So, Patrick, one of the problems when I talk to people about a gold standard, right, is is typically you know what I think a gold standard when in the hands of government is essentially as faith based as a fiat standard. Because let's face it, a government can just decide to go off of a standard that is gold if they so desire. So really, or cook the books, even. or cook the books. So really, the problem is a centralized money power, and this is something that Bitcoin just thrashes. I mean, trashes. It gets right rid of it. So this is something that I think that uh, people of of your uh, school, uh, you're a, you're an Austrian economic school guy. So am I. Uh, we. Absolutely, uh, I think, see a great deal of benefit from Bitcoin simply because it just gets rid of that power. It gets rid of that central power. I mean, this is Soviet-style central planning, central banking. That's what it comes down to, right? Uh, so this is something I think is of huge benefit. So I'm, I'm really glad that you're clued into that. Oh, my gosh. Isn't it hilarious? You just mentioned the Soviet Union. I often make that comparison. That, you know, here we laugh at the Soviet Union trying to run a society with 23 million prices being set by mandarins. And what was that institute called? That Soviet government, it was called like a get Goss plan or something. They had some, some huge bureaucracy in Moscow mm. with ledger mm. books that they were setting the prices for 23 million things in their society. What a silly way to run a country. <laughs> in our country, though, the most important price we face is the price at which we discount the future against the present. And that price is being set by central planners in our society, central planners at a central bank called the Federal Reserve. It's nuts, isn't it? I mean, this is the thing, right? We we can trash talk price fixing all we want, but when it comes to money, for some reason, people don't even realize that money has a price. Rather than, you know, you fix the price of wheat, then you throw a pebble into the corner of the pond, right? You fix the price of money, you throw a big boulder into mm. the middle of that pond, cause ripples through the entire economy. Uh, we've got a caller, Matt, on the line from San Francisco. Uh, Matt's got a question for our guest. Uh, Matt, are you there? Yes, I'm there. How's it going, guys? Fantastic. Good to have you call in. Thanks a bunch, Matt. What's your question? Absolutely. So, Patrick, um, it's obviously a really big deal that you've integrated Bitcoin into Overstock. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of other cryptocurrencies out there uh, that are really getting very large. And what I was wondering is what would it take uh, to get something like Dogecoin integrated onto overstock. <laughs> uh, Patrick, any any plans to integrate Dogecoin? Well, not specifically, but I can tell your caller the the approach we're going to take. First of all, I think that if any other currency starts, I think that there are enormous switching costs and first mover advantages here uh, that go to Bitcoin. And so my, my guess is if any other currency really starts to catch them, that the Bitcoin software will, in fact, evolve. It, people in that community will figure out whatever the other uh, currency, cryptocurrency has to offer and implement it in Bitcoin. That may be uh, wishful thinking, but I suspect that. But in the, in, the, in the event that, and in that way, Bitcoin would always stay ahead. But in the event that they don't, uh, then I think what's going to happen is the intermediate companies, like in our case, we've integrated with Coinbase. Uh, but there are other very good companies like BitPay and Coinable, but, and that those companies will themselves start saying, okay, if you integrate with us, you get integration with both Bitcoin and Dogecoin and Litecoin, et cetera. Mm. 
You know, I, I think it's worth mentioning that there are other uh, possibilities for cryptocurrencies to really shine uh, that are not necessarily Bitcoin. I mean, I don't see uh, a huge future for things like Litecoin. Litecoin was recently added to the uh, Bitcoin China exchange yes, that's uh, right. to be traded there. You can trade Litecoin on the Canadian exchange, CA Vertex. So interesting. But frankly, what I'm really looking for in an alternative currency, and by the way, uh, Matt, thank you so much for the call. Really appreciate it. What I'm looking for in an alternative currency is something that truly innovates over Bitcoin, really challenges what Bitcoin has to offer. And in that sense, I'm, I'm looking at things like Nextcoin and Ethereum, and I'm seeing that there are real possibilities for innovation that don't even necessarily make Bitcoin irrelevant, but work in tandem with mm-hmm, Bitcoin. Mm-hmm, build upon it. You yeah. know, this is, this is the beautiful thing about a free market is that competition. Uh, I, I don't think... Uh, when, when it comes to... Patrick, when it comes to competition among cryptocurrencies, I really think it drives uh, first off, Bitcoin to be the best, uh, as, as lots of people have a vested interest in maintaining that market, uh, but also gives us opportunity for generalized innovation in the market to see new features come about. Would you agree? I would agree. And in a hilarious way, it's just what the Austrians and the the free banking guys have yearned for for decades. We saw it coming back. We, you know, saw that it as there once was an age of, of largely free banking where banks issued their own, their own notes. That were against, allegedly, were supposed to be against <laughs> deposits in the bank, and uh, that system. And you had to, the consumer had to make some judgments about who was trustworthy, who wasn't. Anyway, we've always wanted to sort of those of us who wanted to get rid of the central, uh, the central bank, right, the Federal Reserve. Some uh, there are different things we could replace it with, but some of us, I'm not really haven't. Anyway, some of us have argued for free banking which would just be back to a system of private banks that issue their own currency competitively. I guess that uh, one never, I, I had never thought of that happening online. That's <laughs> the and happening online, only they're not banks issuing it, they're technologists, and they're creating competing currencies. But the idea that the, 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 the currency with the best features is just gets voluntary adoption and wins, that comes right out of the whole theory of free banking. It totally does. You're right. Now, what about uh, what Iceland? I don't know. Was it the Iceland? Ba- Iceland? Um, it wasn't the Iceland government, was it, Ethan? That issued that currency? Oh was no, it wasn't the Icelandic government. There's a new currency out there called Aurora Coin. It's being issued. It's pre-mined and then issued in large, uh, in fact, in vast majority, or if not entirely, in, in initially, uh, to. Icelandic citizens. So uh, Iceland has this really creepy public registry where everybody gets a number. <laughs> Not at all creepy, uh, but everybody who has a number, they get a certain amount of uh, this Aurora coin. And right now, well, last I looked, I think Aurora coin was trading at like seventy or eighty dollars uh, on the open market. But um, well, where was I? Where was I, I was going oh, okay. with that was, um, do, do you think, uh, Patrick? Do you think that maybe? the central bank or the government or the treasury could issue a cryptocurrency and maybe that could possibly take over from the U.S. dollar at some point? <laughs> I think it more likely that it that evolves, uh, that it comes out of private competition like Bitcoin, mm-hmm. not something that the treasury will issue. But one could imagine a, you know, there are so-called, what used to be called third world countries, now called somewhat optimistically developing countries, Actually, uh, that there are some, of course, in history that have reached certain stages where they, they had completely, you know, sizzled their own economy, their own financial system, and as it collapses, they would dollarize. That is, everyone, you know, would move uh, would move their commerce into dollars, and that's how the economy stayed afloat, kept working until they figured out, okay, what's the new currency. Uh, that is conceivable. I mean, I hope it doesn't happen, but I'm old enough to remember a day of, you know, 20% uh, interest rates up here. I, I'm, I think that they are, are, are better than Washington are playing an extraordinarily reckless game uh, at the Federal Reserve and at the Treasury. And I think that it could end very badly, and if it ends badly, uh, it may be that it's kind of, you know, the way we dollarize is we Bitcoinize. So I could see something like that happening, but I don't see the U.S. Treasury being uh, forced to 
Great. Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, look, I mean, Bitcoin gets rid of the need for a centralized party. Yeah. That's kind of the point, right? Yeah. And and frankly, Bitcoin just out out competes any centralized organization. I think that's pretty much the point behind it. We've got a Marty on the line on uh, on the uh, toll free number. You can call in, of course, to ask Patrick your questions. One triple eight nine zero nine ten fifty. One triple eight nine zero nine one zero five zero to connect right here with Patrick Byrne on the air, uh, CEO of Overstock. .com. And for our Canadian listeners, of course, by the way, I know there are about three or four of you, uh, <laughs> two of them being Ed and I. We, you, O.co, I think, is uh, how Overstock is identified up here in Kanakistan. So uh, Marty from Virginia should be on the line right now. Marty, how are you tonight? What's going on, fellas? Oh, all, only the greatest things when we're talking about Bitcoin. That's what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's your question uh, for Patrick? Yeah. Well, I just kind of wanted to touch on a couple of things like uh, like Pat brought up the um, Federal Reserve. Um, as far as, you know, we all know the Federal Reserve, it's, it's a conglomerate of private banks that was, you know, 1913. And uh, the, the same time, the income tax was passed. And, you know, they talk about all this debt that America has and no one asks, who are we in debt to? You know what I mean? No one ever questions that. They just, they, people know we're in debt. But they don't know who we're in debt to. Mm. <laughs> so, do you, do you guys have any thoughts on that? I mean, I, I know the answer. I'm just kind of, you know, <laughs> is that uh, something that anyone ever asks, or you, you know what I mean? Like, it just mm -hmm. seems like a way bigger deal. And and with Bitcoin, you know, being on the horizon, it seems like something that can, you know, really replace the whole the whole idea behind the Federal Reserve. It's not something that's going to go lightly. But do, do you guys think that that could be a possibility? I well, mean, what's your what's your perspective on that, Patrick? Well, I do think that this could replace. <clears throat> I think I think that what's happened in other countries like Cyprus, when their uh, banking system starts to really smoke, is well, one of the things they do is bailing, which is where you, uh, you take the money from depositors, the taxpayers, or essentially all the fees that are tired of it. But when that starts happening, people start converting their money into Bitcoin. If you, for, I've always, I have for years lived in. For some years, there's been some dread about what I thought might happen in our system. I think 08, they just barely caught it. And, and I think that since then, all we've done is replayed a bubble and call it a recovery. We haven't had any fundamental uh, things that, and, and I don't know. So, anyway, I think that there could be, I think there's a non negligible chance of a very bad event in the future, 2008 or worse. And if that happens, we're going to be a much more robust society. If we're already integrated, even in a small way, even one percent, if all if we're just taking one percent of our income in Bitcoin and spending it in Bitcoin and so on and so forth, even if we, we just get integrated that way, it means we have a tremendous safety net behind us. And what's funny is it's just simple. The government is getting a taste of what competition is like because you know here the Department <laughs> of Justice has an antitrust division. Well, yeah, antitrust or there's anti-competitive. The government's all about, you know, thinks they're all about enforcing competition among businessmen and business people. And yes, competition's so great. Well, let's, they're, they're going to get a taste of competition because Bitcoin is just a superior product to the one they have issued and are managing. Well, I think that probably pretty much sums it up. It's about out-competing mm -hmm. the central bank because, darn it, we've said it here before, uh, it's so darn easy. Marty, thanks a bunch for the call. I really do appreciate it. Uh, Patrick, I've got a question here from somebody on Reddit, uh, reddit.com slash r slash Bitcoin, the Bitcoin subreddit. Uh, she says uh, she's got a couple of questions for you. As the head of a retail business, your profit margin is vital, and naturally you seek out uh, any measure to increase it. Using Bitcoin allows you to lower fees to a around 1% and cut out fraud. It seems a bit of a no-brainer for a business to begin accepting Bitcoin. However, her concern is that Bitcoin is complex for the average consumer and has difficulties for the consumer to hold. Security concerns, large volatility, that sort of thing. If businesses want to reap the rewards of Bitcoin, then she feels that they need to reach out to consumers, educate them, and get them to actually try using it. So how will Overstock uh, lead the way? It seems to her that businesses are ex uh, expecting people to just turn to Bitcoin 
point almost naturally when she thinks consumers need clear and large incentives. Uh, 1% of her shopping doesn't seem like enough reason for the average consumer to uh, dump their credit cards, acquire Bitcoin, and pay an exchange fee, get a wallet, and so on. Uh, so how, that's her first question there. How do you address that, do you, yeah, to the, the idea that people might just not naturally uh, click on to Bitcoin? Well, it's possible. We are going to incentivize them. I've said this, and I think it's been printed publicly, that uh, we're going to start giving 1% back people with uh, who pay in Bitcoin will uh. start them a reward salary of one percent back. That's to incentivize them. We're sort of working on the plumbing of that to make that happen right now. It'll be live in some weeks or a couple months at the outside. Um, so we're doing our part to incentivize them. And in addition, I thought it might be a tricky process as well, but and I don't want to sound like a commercial for Coinbase and I have no investment in Coinbase. Coinbase is the company Mark Andreessen funded there in Silicon Valley to, to do this, some of this, and they have wallets. And I found it extraordinarily easy to go in and set up a wallet. And once you have it set up, you can, it's very easy to shop with. It's much easier than entering, and I don't want to enter my Visa card number in a whole bunch of different sites. Hmm. You know, so it's actually very slick and easy and Again, don't want to sound like an advertisement, but Coinbase had a, uh, has a great approach. Yeah, well, Coinbase is kind of like they're, they're, it seems like they're setting themselves up, gearing up to be like the PayPal replacement yeah. uh, for, for the world of Bitcoin. Uh, and it, it's definitely really cool. They've got a lot of neat functionality there. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you, Patrick. Uh, I, don't mean to, I don't mean to downplay uh, your connection to Coinbase as your payment processor. Uh, Coinbase does concern me because sometimes it seems like uh, they've got a lot of different directions, uh, maybe be lacking a bit of focus, like they want to be a wallet, they want to be a payment provider, they want to be uh, a place where you can buy and sell your Bitcoin. So sometimes it seems like they might be lacking direction since you're working with them. And I know they flew staff out to you uh, uh, to, to actually get uh, Overstock integrated uh, with uh, Coinbase quickly. What's your feeling from the company? I mean, from my very, very far outside perspective, you've got a much closer viewpoint. What's your feeling of Coinbase? Well, they do have really first-class technical talent. I can, I can uh, vouch for that. First-class technical, technical talent. I think they, well, you may have a point in what you say, but I think it's a function of this is so, so new and yet, so possibly so vast, uh, there are so many possibilities open up by Bitcoin. And maybe Coinbase wants to pursue them all. A lot of companies, early stage companies, have to go through the growing pains of learning you have to prioritize. Uh, and eventually they will have to. My guess is if you said which, which of those things do they want to do, they're going to tell you all of them. And at some point they'll, uh, you know, it's very early days. And I think they only got Mark Andreessen, the big venture capitalist. He put some money in, I think, just this fall. It's only been, say, this fall where they've had serious money in, in them. So I, I, my impression is they're going to be at least technically a first-class operation. They really seem to know what they were doing. Gotcha. Well, you know, I, like I say, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that they seem incompetent or anything. It's just that, like I say, I'm concerned about a lack of focus sometimes. But I'm, I, you know, at the same on this on the same token, I haven't really seen any major causes for concern just yet. The second part of uh, the question, by the way, from Reddit, uh, just so I don't forget here, do you know of other large businesses that are considering accepting Bitcoin? Uh, uh, you traveling the circles that you do in the world of business, uh, have you heard any mentions that you would uh, count as noteworthy or intriguing? What do you think? Yes, I, I do. I have heard of two other companies, large, well, you know, large billion dollar plus uh, in one case, and in the other case, much larger than a billion dollars, who are considering this. And part of my reason for doing it was I thought that it might, well, let me just, not, not to name any names, but I'll say, <clears throat> uh, you know, we view Amazon as our main competition. Yeah. You know, we're, they're bigger than we are. We're more profitable than they are. But we're, we, you know, they're our main competition. Uh, well, we were more profitable two years ago and last year on a per share basis, and we like to get that way. They, uh, 
I think that us doing it will force Amazon's hand. I mm. think that they have to. They're going to see this piece. Every story that comes out about it will be will include basically Overstock does it and Amazon doesn't. So eventually, I think it'll force their hand and they'll they'll do it. Okay, Patrick. Just before we go here, I just have I like to ask I like to try to ask all of our guests this. So, what if you could pick one feature? What is the what is your most exciting and favorite feature you love about Bitcoin? Uh, it's really that it's limited in supply. Mathematical. Ah, cool. <laughs> awesome. Good stuff. No, one that's of my one of my favorites, favorites too. too. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> limited supply. Well, I mean, this is one of the things that uh, really draws people from the Austrian school in, I think, is is understanding that sort of thing. We're going to yeah. go right to break. I wish we had more time with Patrick, but thank you so, thank much, you so much, Patrick, yes. for your time and for answering questions from our callers. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, we'll be back right after the music here. We're going to be talking to Jeffrey Tucker, uh, famed, a wonderful Austrian economist. We're going to ask him all about Bitcoin, and we'll take your calls for Jeffrey as well. If you if you so desire, one 909 1050 Don't forget Twitter, too. Oh, yes. Add Ed and Ethan. Tweet us at Ed and Ethan. All right. We'll be back right after the music. This is Ed and Ethan. Do you like individual freedom, self-ownership, responsibility, peaceful interaction, or just politics and philosophy in general? Do you like articles, videos, pics, and memes, informative materials that educate on a free world? Then you need to join the number one largest voluntarist Facebook page in the world. Statism is slavery. With multiple passionate admins and a drive to bring you the facts, not only pertaining to economics and or politics, but life in general, Statism is Slavery is your number one spot to connect with almost 175,000 freedom lovers. We also have a free bumper sticker giveaway for best comment almost every day. Just go to facebook.com slash statism makes you a slave or simply search for Statism is Slavery on your search engine and click the like button to subscribe. Thank you for supporting freedom by supporting Statism is Slavery, the number one voluntarism Facebook page in the world. Are you sick of waiting for government and politics to change? Quit waiting. Take control of your life and find your freedom now with The Stateless Man. This is your host and editor of thestatelessman.com, Fergus Hodgson. I'm an expat from New Zealand who's also lived in the United States, Canada, and Ecuador. My quest is to find freedom for my own life and for the lives of others. Each week I explore how to achieve that through personal initiative and voting with your feet beyond arbitrary borders. Be sure to check out the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash thestatelessman and follow me on Twitter at the stateless man. Attention humans, I come to you from a desperate future, one in which all of the humans are dead. For many years we have been running calculations to determine the most impactful point of failure that led to the demise of your species. It has been determined that too many of you were not listening to the Ed and Ethan podcast. Listen often, share with your friends, donate to the show, and visit edandethan.com. You have been warned. All right. We get to return. It's good stuff, man. <laughs> that was a good interview. Um, yeah. Yeah, fun. it was good fun. fun. I liked it. Um, I guess, you know what? It's too bad. I wish we had a little bit more time because I got a lot more. Whenever Patrick Burns starts talking about uh, stuff like, you know, uh, Austrian school economic theory, the central yeah, planning that is our central banking system, I get, I love that stuff because, you know, I mean, beyond the fact that this is Bitcoin, one of the reasons that we absolutely enjoy Bitcoin is because we are big Austrian school economic theory guys, yep. right? Yep. Um, but it's worth pointing out some Austrian economic theory guys and gals don't. Uh, like Bitcoin. Uh, yes, that's so, true. Yeah, usually they don't quite understand technology. It seems from, you know, I'm speculating on that on that end, but you know, it kind of <laughs> seems that they it's don't the, quite their Bitcoin it. thing. It's <laughs> that's crazy. I don't know, it's magic. But uh there is somebody in the Austrian school who does absolutely uh not only enjoy but certainly understands Bitcoin. His name is Jeffrey Tucker. He's a wonderful friend of ours and we enjoy talking to him every opportunity we've got. Uh he should be on the line now. Jeffrey, how goes it this evening? Uh it goes amazing, actually. I'm in Austin at the Bitcoin conference itself. But I had the most extraordinary discussion tonight oh. with uh, Bob Murphy, actually, oh. about the whole subject of the relationship between Bitcoin and Austrian economics. And I'm happy to tell you about it if you're interested. Oh, we'd love Definitely. to hear that, because this is actually, I was going to ask you about the Austrian school and Bitcoin, because there seems to be like some kind of a separation there. Some people love it, some people don't. Yeah. So what was this conversation about? Okay, so uh, this is the background, right? So uh, Austrians are sort of... Uh, Existing for like 100 years, sort of thinking that uh, money has to emerge from commodities, and that's essentially what's wrong with uh, 
government money is that it's increasingly detached from its commodity basis, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, this is kind of a doctrine, and, and suddenly this guy named Satoshi Nakamoto sort of throws out uh, some sort of protocol on the internet, and then gradually it, it uh, uh, becomes a medium of exchange. And now we're looking at Bitcoin and thinking, holy crime, I mean, this could actually become a new uh, world monetary system, allowing uh, the exchange of real property, uh, geographically, uh, you know, independent of geography, without a third-party uh, trust system. And it's a little bit mind-blowing, right? So the Austrians are sort of reassessing their theory, like, where did we go wrong? What, 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 to what extent have we been emphasized? You know, was Mises right about this whole theory? You know, it's, it's represented a fundamental challenge. You with me so far? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, we're Bitcoin guys. Hopefully we're with you <laughs> so far. <laughs> okay. So... Um, so uh, it requires a little bit of understanding of technology to uh, integrate Bitcoin into Austrian theory. But also, I think, very importantly, under, it requires an understanding of the history of Bitcoin itself. Now, um, when Menger, Karl Menger, and, and Mises were imagining the origin of money, they, you know, we have this, they, they wrote a conjectural history, and we imagined it taking, I don't know, uh, 50, 100 years, or something mm-hmm. like that, right? For shells to, you know, gradually you know, go from barter to become money or whatever. But we live in times where everything is speeded up, <laughs> you know, in a mm-hmm. radical way. And I think that's essentially what happened to Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin was introduced not so much as a money, but as a ledger. Uh, a new technology called the blockchain, which, uh, which allows us to keep track of our uh, communicative exchanges uh, based on uh, titles within uh, a distributed network. And that was the great innovation of Bitcoin. It, it wasn't as if Satoshi invented this money. What was important was that he invented a new system of communicating property relationships across uh, geography mm-hmm. within a distributed network. That, that was this great innovation. The money aspect of it then flows out of that uh, as a hope and anticipation, right? But when he first introduced his white paper, it comes out in like October of uh, 2008, um, the uh, Genesis block emerges, what, sometime in January 2009? Mm-hmm. Okay, January 3rd, 2009. Uh, you know how much value the Genesis block had, right? Zero. Zero value. Yeah. So he invited people to test it. About eight months of testing went by, and people were like, "Holy crap! This little, this little system uh, actually is, is, it actually works, and it's very useful." So it gradually uh, obtains value. So uh, come October, something like fifth, um, two thousand nine, it obtains its first uh, posted price on the market. So it took about ten months for people to begin to develop a sense of confidence and the. Uh, the service of the blockchain um, uh, ledger exchanges. So, if you can take the whole of Mises' theory, where he talks about commodities as being, you know, barter, mm. uh, being the precondition for the obtaining of monetary value or um, a means of exchange, and replace that with services and make the blockchain the service, then you can see how the regression theorem of Mises conceives of it is actually a like very tight and close fit with this story of Bitcoin itself. So, like, uh, I told this to Bob Murphy tonight uh, over drinks. He had never heard that before. Uh, it blew his mind, and he was thrilled. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that just that just happened. So. Wow. That's really cool. I really like that. This is see, this is the value of Bitcoin conventions and stuff like that is being able to have great minds like Jeffrey Tucker and Bob Murphy sit down and just come up with really cool sorts of ways to explain uh, abstract concepts like the regression theorem as applied to Bitcoin. So, Jeffrey, what do you really think is it does the separation in the Austrian school those who enjoy the idea of Bitcoin and those who don't do you really think it kind of just comes down to curmudgeons versus uh, you know innovators <laughs> what, what, what do you think is the real the real sort of separation line in the sand there for Austrians 
Well, I'm uncomfortable agreeing with you, but I, I think I have to. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, okay. <laughs> I, I wasn't expecting something so uh, so so forward. I guess, uh, yeah. Well, I, I I hesitate to call these people curmudgeons too, because a lot of these people are really uh, really uh, uh, really good thinkers. Like people like Joseph T. Salerno. Uh, he is somebody who really gets how central banking yes. is terrible. He understands where value comes from. He understands understands why sound money is important but bitcoin he just he just doesn't like it he just kind of brushes it off i mean the first time we mentioned it to him he uh, he said to us something about you know who who makes sure that uh, the mysterious centralized uh, you know issuer of bitcoin doesn't uh, issue more but it's kind of at the time we were talking about something else so a facepalm had to suffice uh, <laughs> <laughs> i've got a question for you uh, from reddit and by the way if anybody wants to give us a call live right here on KCAA 10:50 a.m. they can do so by calling 1-888-909-1050 that's 1-888-909-1050 to connect here with Jeffrey Tucker and also we're here we're not going to leave. We're not going to go anywhere. So ask any one of us your questions. Uh, from Mises Jones on Reddit. <laughs> I like that username. Uh, I would be <laughs> interested to hear Mr. Tucker's take on this. One thing is obvious to many of us who pay attention to the slow motion train wreck that is Washington. Our constant annual deficits are unsustainable and our national debt is, without a doubt, unpayable. Since the debt is unpayable, how does Mr. Tucker think our basically corrupt government will try to extinguish this debt, and what lies will they tell the public while they do it? More importantly, what role can Bitcoin and or other cryptocurrencies play to possibly ease the pain of this coming storm for those of us who adopt it? How does he think this all might play out? What do you think, Jeffrey? What uh, what comes to mind? Well, these, these are gigantic questions. What's especially interesting about these questions is that we have essentially no historical precedent for a free market currency, uh, especially a digitally based mm. free market currency, replacing a national money. Well, we, don't, we don't even know what this looks like, mm. you know. Uh, so it's, 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 it's interesting. I wish, I wish there were a little more speculation about it. I've only done a little bit of thinking about the topic. My, my guess is that in the future, national monies will be used for national purposes. In other words, uh, national monies will be the, the, the coin of, of, of the Leviathan. You know, so you have to pay your taxes in it. Uh, government contractors will be paid in it. Uh, welfare recipients will be, will receive it. Um, but anything outside the state will eventually sort of gradually, um, uh, gravitate towards uh, cryptocurrency. And so we're going to have a parallel monetary system. Um, and which most people in the world won't have a problem with because they already deal with many, many uh, currencies. I mean, you can go drive north to Canada and find that they accept Canadian dollars and American dollars. Go to Mexico and find they accept you know, virtually any currency. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, this is most people in the world. Americans are a little bit weird. We all think the only currency that's valuable is the dollar. <laughs> so we're going to have to adapt uh, and, and, and develop parallel Standards. I think that's what's going to happen. In fact, that's, that is already happening. Well, so, if, I, if, I can um, be, if I can be blunt about it, Jeffrey, I think that this is kind of a demonstration, and some people will call me absolutely nuts and crazy for this, but I think this is an absolute demonstration of uh, the idea that anarchy is sort of inevitable. Because mm. <laughs> when you start to talk about how Bitcoin could make... Uh, you know, the currency of the Leviathan, the currency of governments irrelevant over time by outcompeting it. I think that when you get down to it, you start to look at, well, if it does outcompete it, what at what point does the dollar, the yen, the euro, at what point do these big chains that have a monopoly on the market now, at what point do they become the broken down, uh, you know, uh, dilapidated shack on the corner of a, a, a bad uh, side of town, you know, like they're basically just waiting to die off into irrelevance and not be used anymore at all. You know, if, 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 you, have, if you have disempowered the Leviathan's currency to such a degree that it is essentially only used used for tax remittance, then basically government has lost a massive amount of its influence. And at that point, I don't know if we even need it anymore. And this is kind of a worldwide shift. I don't know, Jeffrey, you think I'm crazy? No, I think that's exactly right. Anarchy is all around us. It's already here. Uh, we are a it. And um, 
we are every day of our lives we're struggling free from this parasite uh, that called space that does nothing actually except just slow us down and uh, extract extract money from us and threaten us. But otherwise, I think the whole of humanity strives to live in a state of anarchy. I think that's our nature. That's who we are. Um, we've lived through a hundred years of hell, essentially, with a stupid experiment called um, the total state. Not just here, uh, not just in Russia, not just mm. in Germany, not just mm-hmm. in Italy, but, but, but right here at home. And it, it, it's not worked. It's not worked for us. And when things don't work, when there are too many anomalies, would appear in the course of history where a theory begins to become essentially irrelevant to our daily lives as the states increasingly become. Um, it's unsustainable. And uh, I think that's where we are right now. We're living in a, a kind of pre-paradigmatic shift hmm. uh, away from statism uh, towards anarchism as, as the dominant mode of, of life. The nation state is, uh, is unsustainable. I think it's going to happen within our lifetime. Oh, I, I hope so. A huge, huge growing upheaval. I don't believe it's going to end in, in gigantic calamity. But, you know, and the cool thing is that the reason it's not going to be a calamity is that uh, the, the private sector is inventing so many marvelous things for us every day. Bitcoin, you know, um, and, and every other service you can imagine. That we're, we're going to glide through uh, this stage of history, and the state's going to become uh, just um, uh, a distant memory. Uh, I would say within decades. Yeah, I, I, well, I really hope I so. Hope so I, too. <laughs> uh, we should mention, of course, by the way, you know, these uh, great, wonderful innovations in the free market include yourself with uh, Liberty.me. I'm really looking forward to yes, when that, right. uh, you know, flourishes and becomes uh, a widely uh, used service. Liberty.me, I expect, will accept Bitcoin within its uh, infrastructure, not as a uh, sort of a hack in the system. Is that right, Jeffrey? That's exactly right. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, I get I get to play on this on this little city every single day, uh, and 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 uh, it's just a joy to me. I wish I could invite you all in, but by the way, we are like literally days away from close data. Um, I mean, there's uh, too many bugs actually right now for me to feel comfortable going. Okay, come on in, yeah, join us. But but it's, it's like ninety three percent finished, and I, I, it's just a kick for me. I'm just I'm, I'm so excited. This is something I dreamed about basically not even quite a year ago, maybe 10 months ago. And now to see it coming to fruition is, is just thrilling. I'm, I'm honored to play a role of what I think is, you know, some of the well, we, we, we wouldn't want anybody with a smile any less grand and fantastic than yours, uh-huh. Jeffrey. When it comes to, I, I wanted to ask you, too, about some of the, you know, the turbulence in the markets that we've experienced recently, because a lot of people, you know, it's funny. Um, <laughs> if, you, if you look back in time, you can find things. Uh, there's this one event that keeps cropping up again and again in respect to Bitcoin. It comes up, uh, it seems like almost like clockwork. Every time something happens that is significant, Significant the Bitcoin market, and what I'm referring to is some clued out journalist somewhere oh. writing about how Bitcoin's <laughs> dying and dead, and it's you know they write its obituary. Yeah. So I, I saw this again, and this is because uh, Mount Gox, of course, uh, collapsed. Uh, Mark Carpellis uh, basically ran that into into the ground with impressive amounts of uh, uh, incompetence, <laughs> it would seem. So Jeffrey, a lot of people were really directly hurt by that. I mean, a lot of people lost a lot of wealth in that exchange. Um, uh. It seems like they're not going to get uh, made whole so what do you when you when you face this sort of problem in the market regulation, regulation how well how do you tell people that this is you know how do you tell people that this is kind of how it should work or what do you say because those people are are like i said they've been made uh, they've been directly hurt you know so it's, it's funny because i think those of us in the bitcoin world uh i think initially we we, we kind of dismissed uh, the Mount Gox failure too quickly. I would say that for myself because for like two years, I mean, everybody has known that Mount Gox is not the thing, right? We, we've all been kind of hoping for it in a way, you know? Mm. I mean, those things a year ago saying, oh gosh, Mount Gox is, you know, uh, should not have a majority 
you know, uh, should not have been able to control the market. It's not the ideal situation. And recommended against people going in there. And so when it kind of went belly up to me, it was like, you know, it's like watching a train wreck happen, you know, in slow motion. You know, we all knew it was going to happen. Uh, but I think, I think, uh, that I underplayed the importance of this in my own mind. I mean, you're right. There were many people that were actually hurt. And it has caused some degree of harm to Bitcoin uh, in the public perception. There's a vague association between Bitcoin and failure now among some people. But of course, uh, among smart, the smart set, um, this is a buy opportunity, essentially, right? I mean, um, you know, I always, I, to me, the great analogy I always have in my head is railroads in the, in the 19th century. Um, right after the American Civil War, railroads uh, started being built by private entrepreneurs. Government got interested, and then they began to create sort of nationalized systems. There were lots of rackets that came about. There were um, tons of, you know, industrial accidents, you know, late trains, uh, trains, you know, going off bridges, killing Hundreds of people. I mean, there's like the stock market fraud, you know, every day between 1870 and like, you know, uh, uh, 1898, there was, there was another railroad scandal, you know, and, and, and people focused on those. They were interested in them. Uh, but, but the problem is that, uh, even at the time, uh, there was never a headline that said, oh my God, railroads have changed history forever, you know, mm. uh, Transportation has been reduced, you know, 95, transportation has been reduced 95%. Now, most of these millions of people are going to get, get groceries that didn't happen before. I mean, the explosion of prosperity, a lot of people are going to live longer because of it. But all of which is true. But that wasn't the thing that dominated the headlines. What dominated the headlines was the daily um, difficulties that come when new technologies are interested in real, are introduced into real-time markets, which are always and everywhere messy, you know, filled with fallibility and um, uh, failure and play and trial and error. And we're going to see this in the Bitcoin world. So to me, I, I kind of weirdly take comfort in the Gox situation, as I did in the, uh, you know, all the, all the scandals and areas over the last 12 months. I mean, to me, this is sort of what happens when a great technology changes the world forever. You know? There's epic stuff. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And it's, it's a sign of life. It's a, it's a sign. I mean, history is messy and wonderful and, and full of upheaval. And, and when history is boring, static, predictable, stable, you're probably getting poorer, actually. Uh, and you're, you're, you know, that's a sign that Things are not moving forward. That humanity is gradually suffering. I mean, you know, in socialist societies, um, everything's the same every day. There's no business failure. There's no unemployment. Uh, you know, every everything is kind of a given. Everybody does the same stuff every day, and gradually, everybody just loses out on uh, participating in, in the great progress of life. I think but if you participate. Yeah, in progress, you've got to be prepared for for crazy upheavals. And, you know, the Mount Gox situation is, to me, it's just part of the script of, of history. This is what happens. Sure, growing pains, yeah. Great technology like, like, like Bitcoin comes along and, and changes the world. Sure. I, look, we've seen this in the past. I mean, 150 years ago when banks had, what, like 30% reserves uh, floating around in their banks when they wow. had... that really existed? That really existed. When banks had unlimited liability. <laughs> when banks had unlimited liability and they would they would, uh, they would would get crushed under their own ineptitude. Mm-hmm. The problem... Mm-hmm. See, this was, this was the thing. For the system as a whole, that was great, right? You had, instead of depositors losing all their money, you had shareholders shareholders and managers they lost all their money and 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 depositors would be made whole or as whole as they could now the problem though is that shareholders really didn't like that. So who went to government huh. saying, this needs to be regulated, Not, losses need to be socialized? Well, that's what happened. Share, shareholders were better off. And then, as a whole, the system started to become less and less efficient. People got hurt more and more 
on on in in general terms. Mm-hmm. So I mean, the problem with this regulation, this uh, this desire for regulation, is that yeah, you can look, you can focus on those rather specifically cited catastrophes, but if you do, I think you're you're ignoring market principles in general. And this is not surprising that this happens because economic illiteracy is unfortunately very widespread. So you have a lot of people participating yeah. in these markets that just generally don't know how markets work at all. And I think this is kind of like a painful education, to be honest. Yeah, all you really had to do with Gox is just Google it and find out, you know, if, how <laughs> reputable of a, of, a, of a service they were. And, yeah. You know. Yeah, we're we're coming close to time. So before I, before I ask anything else, Jeffrey, I do want to mention also, uh, you know, look for our listeners, and I ask you to make your own judgments. Of course, this is something that you need to to figure out on your own. I recommend if you're ever going to buy or sell bitcoins, you go localbitcoins.com, localbitcoins.com, or you at Mycelum is coming up with a great sort of local market into their wallet application. Use that. Using centralized exchanges, I think, is a mistake over the long term. And right now, Bitstamp is probably a good example of that. They... Uh, they've, they've taken place of they, they are now the largest Bitcoin exchange out there uh, and recently they had an issue with their email list getting hacked mm. uh, somebody approached them told them this might have happened their response was essentially to deny it until two weeks later they finally revealed it to the community oh, wow. frankly you know what to me that is a glaring uh, problem in, in terms of judgment uh, when yeah. it comes to being uh, transparent and, and accountable for security issues so for me, Bitstamp is written off um, mm. just because they made this one lapse. For me, I would never it's touch them. all it them. takes, though. It's all it takes, right? But, you know, like I said, everybody needs to make their own judgment. But the, the thing that I'm looking at here is this is how the market works towards those decentralized systems. Isn't it great? I love it. You know, we are so privileged to live through this right now. I mean, it's hard for me to just cry over all this stuff, actually. I mean, to me, it's really fun to live in interesting times like this, you know? Um I mean, I, I, I've, I've been studying monetary theory and, and, and money my entire life. I never imagined a time that I would actually live through the real-time experimentation with the real free market currency just emerging all over the world using the highest technology. Uh, you, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's an amazing thing to watch, the, the market unfold, the market process unfold. It's imperfect as it is. I love that, actually. It I love- is. I love its imperfection. I think it is beautiful, this uh, sort of disruptive marketplace where, look, good and bad things can happen. But the, the one thing that happens all the time is free, voluntary association and choice. People, yeah. under, people, people realizing uh, the results of their choices and their actions. Hey, Jeffrey, I want to thank you very much for making the time to come on tonight. It's been a lot of fun talking to you. Uh, Liberty.me is your current project. Anything else people should be looking for on the web relative to your work? Um, my new book, uh, actually it's called Liberty.me, Freedom of the Do It Yourself Project, it should, I mean, it's already available on Kindle, you can go to Amazon and get it, but I think it's next week's coming out in hard copy, um, and so that's one of pages, I'm really happy with it, I, uh, because I think it's a very good book, so Fantastic. look out for it. All right. Thanks a bunch, Jeffrey. It's been a lot of fun. We'll talk to you again. Of course, my thanks goes out to the LTB Network. That's the Let's Talk Bitcoin Network, KCAA 1050 AM, and all of you beautiful listeners. This is Ed and Ethan. (laughs) 